Okay, I have turned on the recorder. So if you're having any conversations you don't want recorded? <laughs> We're just talking about our vacations in Spain. <laughs> I know. Did you send that to me, that picture? Shall we do roll call? Hey, Brenda, can you do roll call? So call off each member, and then they'll say aye if they're here. Yes. Me just telling you, I'm opening your picture for you. Come 
right up. So before the picture, um, quick announcement. We do have one of our board members, um, Derek, uh, for personal reasons. He has to take a leave of absence. Um, we expect that he will come back next month. Uh, if he cannot, uh, we will let you know. Um, but that's kind of the status. Excuse me, Madam Chairman. Yes. Could you just speak up just a little bit? Sure. Oh, thank you. Um, and as I've learned today, um, one of the roles of the chairperson um, is to have a report out where we can do anything. <laughs> uh, so today, I thought I'd share a picture I took today. Yeah, I'm working on it. I am not sure why I can't get to um, present this picture, so I'm going to like Save the world and teach grammar <laughs> <laughs> and spelling. <laughs> There's quite a few things. <laughs> got lots of work ahead of us. So I don't know who that was, but I thought it was really cute. Very thoughtful. And I found out today we could do something. Let me know if you want something. to approve the meet, meeting minutes from June 11th, which was our last public import meeting. Um, so when we say that there's three items on the consent agenda, you know, every every board meeting we're going to have a consent agenda, which will generally include the board minutes, and, you know, from time to time additional items. But as in this case, we also have the co-applicant agreement between the ASF Board of Trustees and the co-applicant board, and then we also have the, uh, uh, the co-applicant board bylaw. Consent agenda basically means that these items will get passed with your consent. If there's ever an item on the consent agenda that you want to talk about, then you can ask to be taken off the consent agenda, and then it would be handled like any new motion or new action coming up. But these items are generally the, the, the understanding is, is there's not going to be any, any questions or discussions about any of them, and so that's why. Unless there's 
there's an objection, we, we can set, we move that this is approved, right? Yeah. <coughs> Instead of voting aye for everybody, it's just you're, you're more asking for objection or that everybody needs to come to final decision. Can you do all three at once or one at a time? Okay. So unless there's objections. No objections. Um, you need someone to. Uh, to so make a motion? So we move to approve the, the consent, the consent agenda. Yeah, agenda. Can I have a motion? Yeah. Can you not? First, uh, approving the consent agenda. Okay. Okay, I second. second. Um, so the motion has been approved okay. to uh, approve the consent agenda. So, um, I just want to take a, a short opportunity to uh, sort of continue on with a, another board orientation topic that we, were, um, that we began with the last meeting. Uh, and today what I wanted to focus on is oversight. And, you know, having worked with the Board of Trustees, you know, for a little over three years now, there's certain things I've seen in terms of this whole issue of oversight and what their responsibilities are. And so, you know, because this is a healthcare organization, and because there are things, you know, issues which are specialized or technical, you know, quality issues, you know, perhaps some regulatory issues, you know, oftentimes the question for someone who's providing oversight is how much do I have to know, okay? Do I have to become an expert in this? How can I make a decision about whether this is the right thing to do if I don't have any training in a particular area? So that's what I want to talk about today, try and reassure you as to what, you know, is sort of the, the scope of your responsibility and obligation. Go ahead to the first slide. So the, the next slide. So I think the first thing is that you know oversight, you know, sort of you know three principles that I think are at the heart of oversight and understanding that you guys in your role as the board members are are here to, to work with management and make management more effective. And in this board, I think even more particularly than other boards, because many of you are on this board because you have a special insight and perspective on issues you know facing homeless people in the homeless community that our management doesn't have. And that's precisely why you're on this board, is to provide that perspective, provide that additional insight. And so sometimes, you know, there's a tension between a board, uh, you know, a, a governing board and management. And some governing boards, you know, feel that they're there to, you know, essentially to challenge management, and that's how they provide oversight. Um, I think that the board plays a more effective role if they are supportive of management job correctly um, and then help management to understand you know, what their concerns are you know as they go forward so that's why I have up there is the two you know sort of first fundamental principles you know the idea of working collaboratively uh, with management um, and that you know management is also here to work and help be helpful to you so the things that management is bringing to you or suggesting to you as you know topics to discuss or issues to confront that's an important part of management management of the organization working with you to address your needs as board members. And, and again, it should be a collaboration, you know, where if you have ideas, you know, those are shared with management, if management has ideas, they can share them with you. And then, like I said, the fi uh, last point is something we talked about last time, and that is, again, always trying to sort of keep the best focus on the big picture. So the next. So these are sort of the four, probably 
key oversight responsibilities that you have as board members for a healthcare organization. Okay, and they're not necessarily listed, you know, in the most, you know, but you know, all four of them are there. But strategy, okay, you know, adopting and articulating a vision for the organization. Okay, what this health center, uh, excuse me, you know, uh, healthcare center for the homeless, you know, what it should be aspiring to do for the community, what it should be aspiring to do in terms of its programs. Uh, quality and safety, okay? As we sort of get out of the orientation phase and more into the business phase with you, okay, this should be a big part of your job, okay? Really looking at the, uh, the reporting regarding the programs and services from the standpoint of what impact does this have on the patient? What are the outcomes, you know? Are we providing the best level of services, you know, to serve, you know, the patient needs for this community? Um, STEEP care, anyone know what STEEP stands for? Okay, it's an acronym, you will hear a lot about it, okay? But it refers to the quality of care and the fact that as to whether or not, you know, the uh, care that's provided is safe, whether it's timely, whether it's effective, whether it's patient-centered, and what's the other E? Efficient. But, but those are the parameters that we're talking about. And the things that you as board members should be concerned about, you know, are we providing those services to the patient, you know, which need those. Compliance, there's all kinds of rules which relate to what we're doing here, okay? And part of your job is, is not necessarily to, um, uh, to be directly involved in enforcing those rules, but understand that the rules are being enforced, that the rules are being and then sustainability, you know, this is important for any organization. You know, if the organization is not being run appropriately from a financial or fiscal standpoint, then it's not going to be able to continue to provide services. So part of the governing board's responsibility, and this is a sort of closely tied to strategy, is to ensure that things are being handled in a fashion which will allow them to continue to operate for the benefit of the community. And sometimes, that <coughs> excuse me, sometimes that involves some of you probably are aware that you know our board of trustees right now is you know grappling with this issue of sustainability, you know in terms of the funding available you know to support our programs, um, and whether or not we have to make choices you know in order to be able to do the, the things which we're best able to do and that we can actually afford to do. Okay, uh, don't anticipate or you, know, you all should not be concerned with that. It's an issue for you here, but that's the sort of thing you know or part of what should be in, in your mind. Um, couple of things that you should understand as board members. You're not a doctor, you're not a nurse, you're not a social worker necessarily, okay? But you have good judgment and common sense, and those are as important as any sort of technical expertise in being a board member, okay? In some ways, it's even better, okay? Because sometimes when you have, when you're very close to a topic, it's kind of difficult to make objective decisions and determinations. And so a lot of times, you know, you may find yourself in a position where there may be a board member who has, you know, that's something that he or she does or that's something he or she has experienced and you haven't. Okay, that's fine. Okay, you still have a perspective which is important. And so I, you know, would encourage you not to be intimidated or concerned because you're talking about an area that requires expertise or, you know, some technical skills that you don't necessarily have. And then I think the 
you know, board members exercise oversight primarily by asking questions, okay? Um, and again, there's sort of two approaches to this, you know what I mean? You know, some boards, you know, basically do a lot of, you know, finger pointing and direction, you know, do this, do that, and do other. I think boards that ask questions really um, are doing the best to provide oversight to the organization because the very fact of asking questions expresses a concern about a topic, which forces management to focus its attention on that particular topic. By asking a question, you get information about, okay, here's an issue I might have, but you get information to answer, and sometimes that information addresses your concern. Whereas if we're only talking about direction, you know, sometimes there's not an opportunity for the exchange, which is going to be important. But asking what happened, you know, asking why are we doing this as opposed to, you know, doing this over here, uh, things along those lines, okay, are good ways for you to educate yourself about what's happening, but also make sure that management is, uh, you know, actually addressing things that are important for the organization. Okay? So any questions about that? So, uh, next slide. So here are a couple, I take, <coughs> excuse me, I've taken three areas where you're going to be doing stuff, okay? And these are questions that typically come up. So like, for example, <coughs> policy. You may see that there is a policy, um, and I'm just going to you know, give an example that may not necessarily be here. But you know, in the you know organization, you know we have you know policies you know for a number of clinical you know procedures. And so we may have a policy you know that governs you know the uh, the dosing rates you know for certain types of medications or whatever. And those go to the board, and so the board members are reading through here, and you're looking at you know all of these you know medical. Uh, pharmaceuticals or whatever, and like, unless you're a pharmacist, you have, this means nothing to you, you know, you know, even if you're a nurse. And so the board members say, well, how can I approve this policy? I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Okay, and you may find yourself in that too. You know, you may get a policy <coughs> that relates to some aspect of the, uh, um, you know, of our uh, health center operations, and it may involve a subject that you don't know anything about. Um, and so you're, they're reading it going, okay, And it's important to understand that by in approving a policy, you're not necessarily approving the content of the policy, okay? What you're really looking at is, okay, is there a process for coming up with policies? Is that a reasonable process? Did they follow the process in this instance? Whoever's name is on this policy, does it make sense that that's the right person to write this type of policy? Those are the types of things that as a board member approving a policy that you're looking at. And again, Trauma team to the ER level two, <coughs> ETA five minutes. Trauma team to the ER level two, ETA five minutes. And so again, all of you can ask those questions and be satisfied with the answer to those questions without necessarily having to have any of the technical stuff. So that's just one example, you know, of the distinction between, you know, how much you really need to know to do. Same thing with the budget, okay? You may not, oh, go ahead. There may be instances where we may want to get a better understanding of the policy before approving. In mm -hmm. those instances, would it be would it make sense, or would we be able to call in somebody who has the authority to go over that policy with us, somebody who's written the policy or is in involved in the making of that policy, to come and sort of go over why they decided what they did or what their process was? Okay, so good question. So a policy does come before you, and you are wondering, okay, why are we? 
are we doing this instead of something else? Okay, or why, why do we have to have this policy? Questions along those lines. Okay, Heather can answer any of this. Okay, <laughs> doesn't matter what the policy is, doesn't matter what the subject matter is. Heather will be able to answer. You know, I'm just kidding. You should ask those questions if those are of interest to you. Okay, and I think actually in most instances Heather will be able to explain uh, on some level, you know, the rationale for the policy and why if it requires more discussion or more detailed information, then you might set that policy aside until the next meeting and we'll have someone come in and talk a little bit more specifically about those. But the fact that you don't have to do it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it or you can't do it, okay? Uh, my, my question is, um, kind of overlaps points you was making. Um, it's a more of a general question about these kinds of decisions that might come our way in which we have to weigh in. My question is, um, generally, um, is there a time factor involved in all decisions, or will we see a situation where time is actually of the essence, meaning that we have to make a decision very, fairly quickly as opposed to having to mull it over long term? Mm -hmm. um, how would that be presented to us, and how should we, how, what kind of eye should we look at those kinds of questions when it may, it may come down to um, the speed in which we make those decisions. All right, very good question. So, so I would probably break your decision making down into, you know, two or three basic categories. So on the one hand, you have some routine stuff, and these are things that you would do as a matter of course. Of the, so policy approvals is one of the things that falls uh, in that category. Uh, things that have to do with the operation. Those are routine things. Typically, there's not necessarily going to be a timeline associated with them. So if they're presented to you, you make a decision. If you're not able to make a decision, the fact that you have to kick it to the next meeting, no big deal, no harm, no foul. Okay. Uh, beyond the routine decisions, you know, you'll probably have, you know, I think, you know, two additional times of, of uh, decisions to make, and one um, group of decisions that, you know, while basically, you know, just sort of, you know, putting a Contracts, approval of the budget, you know, or something along those lines. Generally speaking, there's probably, uh, or I shouldn't say probably, there's likely a timeline associated with them. And so the idea is that it's being, you know, presented with the expectation that, you know, if it's going to be approved, it will be approved at that meeting. Part of our job is to make sure that things are brought to you in a fashion that doesn't require you to have to make snap judgments. You know, okay. We're doing our job correctly. You'll always have another copy. Okay. The last, you know, type of decision, which you know, sort of is also fiscal, is for items of major importance. Typically, are going to be a two-meeting process. Okay, and so in the first meeting, we would introduce the subject, talk about it, talk about the implications, tell you why it's important, explain it to you, maybe have a presentation about it or whatever. But you're not going to be asked to vote on it. That would happen in the next meeting, and so that way you have a chance to reflect upon it, okay. okay? And so if it's a major decision, we want to avoid you feeling pressured to make it, particularly if that's the first time you've heard it. So that's typically what we'll do. And so, for example, if it was something that might involve some substantial change in programs, okay, or to the operation of the center, uh, you know, something like the budget, you know, typically, uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, present the budget for a first time 
budget review and approval, okay? How many of you are mathematicians? Okay? Okay, you don't have to be a mathematician, okay? Again, you're looking at the budget from the standpoint of how did we get from point A to point B, okay? Does this reflect fairness? Does this reflect, you know, a logical way of taking the resources we have available and deploying them, and are we talking about a reasonable type of expense, okay? So again, it's not that you have to get into the, to the nuts and bolts of it, your job really. Again, it doesn't preclude you from saying, okay, why are we spending this much on that as opposed to that? I mean, those are questions which oftentimes come up with budget. And then the last is on the quality stuff. And again, um, you know, since, you know, if you're not a doctor or a nurse or a social worker, you may say, okay, how can I tell if this, uh, if these folks are, you know, providing good quality care, okay? Again, there's <coughs> elements of that that I think are within all of our, you know, expertise, okay? Are we treating patients fairly, okay? Are, you know, we, <coughs> are we getting good outcomes from patients, okay? And so what you're, you know, maybe looking at is uh, if we're reporting to you on, you know, for example, you know, has to you know, come back for treatment on the same condition, okay? You don't necessarily know what standard might be applied to something like that, but the question is, well, what's the best practice, okay? What happens with other institutions? How do we compare to other institutions? You know, things along those lines, you know, which give you an opportunity to test the information that you're receiving, okay, without necessarily, you know, having to, you know, find yourself, you know, delving into it. So, so again, these are some of the things which I think will be helpful to you as you go along, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, because at first it can be a little bit overwhelming. You're, you're being asked to approve things or do things, and you're like sitting there and says, okay, I'm not even sure what this is saying, okay? Don't, do not be alarmed by that, okay? That, you know, that's part of the, you know, the, uh, the development or evolution process as you go through this. And, you know, six or eight months from now, all of this stuff, and there'll be areas that you'll find that you'll have more interest in than others, okay? And so some people like finance, some people want law. It, it, you know, some ones are more focused on programmatic things. You'll also find areas of expertise. So, so any questions about, you know, any of that information about, you know, how you can sort of, you know, sort of manage your role as a board member? Yes, sir. I have one other question, um, and it's a follow-up to what she said, the point she made. Um, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't hear you right, but um, she did ask about the issue about if you don't know um, specific information and you want to find that specific information to aid you in making the decision, can you invite someone in? And I think you did say yes, right? Well, so, and, and maybe I missed it say it. And so I think that, uh, so there's two things, you know, I guess two questions there. One, you know, should we be presenting someone to you to provide that information? should you be bringing someone to, to talk about information? So, so the first question, okay, if it's something which is, you know, a, uh, a significant issue that requires explanation that we can't provide to you, then we should be providing that information in a way that works for you. You know, the, you know should board members, you know, be, being, well, you know, I'm, I, have, I know somebody who does this, so I'm going to bring them in and meet, okay, that's probably not the way Right. It's someone that you could refer to, you know, a management that look, I know someone who knows something about this, and you know, let me put you in touch with them, that sort of thing. But as a practical matter, you know, board members, you know, shouldn't be looking to bring individuals into 
you can have it as part of the board discussion, and if there's a consensus among the board that we need more information, or we need different information, then you might, you know, send Heather off to find other people to bring into talk about the project. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. So, the lawyer will stop talking now. Do you want to know that we have a new a member, another member join us? Absolutely. So, um, you can you can do that by I recognize you as the chair. You say, I recognize Eric Murphy. Member Murphy has arrived for the meeting. Welcome, Eric. Welcome, Eric. <laughs> What's your question? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and now we're going to move on. Um, First, uh, more board orientation activities. We've got Maria, our fabulous intern, who is going to present a little more information on Robert's new reporter. Welcome, Maria. time to get snacks. Thank you for holding during our technical difficulties. We'll be back in a moment. All right, we're back. Thank you. All right, you're up. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Maria Leon. I'm doing an internship this summer through Healthcare Connections, and I'm attending for Heather. So I'm really excited to be with you all today and present some information that I hope you all find hopeful moving forward with your meetings. Okay, thank you. So today we're going to go over I get into the dense text. I just wanted to put this cartoon up here and ask you 
my work. So <laughs> definitely yeah. a lot of chaos. So as you can see, no one, there's no chair probably, um, there's no agenda, there's no one's really uh, taking turns speaking, they're all just speaking at once, so it's very chaotic and disordered. But we don't want the meetings to be like that, so we have rules to avoid that. And those are called Robert's rules. So what are they for? So they're used to conduct business in a way that's fair and consistent, that makes good use of everyone's time. Um, they're, they're there to ensure fairness for every member of the board or the group. Um, and the way that they do that is that they consider one item at a time. They also allow for each voice to be heard. Um, there's a majority rule with voting, and, and it protects the rights of all the members. So today we'll just be going over that. Um, and some brief history of who is Robert. So he's actually, full name is actually Henry Martin Robert. He was an engineer for the US Army, and he was called upon to lead a meeting. And he was really lost and disoriented. He didn't know what to do. So he kind of dedicated time to learning about parliamentary procedure and compiled a pocket manual of rules. And now it's, it's widely used all over the world, and uh, he's been very influential since that meeting then. Okay, so some important terms to know that I'll be using today, and also you'll be using it throughout the rest of the meeting. Uh, so assembly, that would be the group, the decision-making body, so that's you all as the board. Um, the chair is the presiding officer who facilitates the discussion, uh, so they play a very important role in the meeting. Um, also order is just the way that things should be conducted, so those are the rules. Uh, motion is just a basic tool that you use to get things done, so it's kind of like a proposal. And then quorum is the min minimum number of members that have to be present to conduct the meeting, so today we met quorum because we're all here. Okay, so now that we've gone over the background, we'll get into how to actually conduct uh, a meeting. So if you wish to speak during a debate, you can, but you have to obtain recognition from the chair. So that could be done in multiple ways. Uh, usually people raise their hands or could stand up, but since we're in a more uh, smaller setting, more relaxed, you can just get the chair's attention by saying, Chair Lucia, and then she can say yes, and then you can talk. So that's uh, just a way that you can gain recognition. But of course, you should not seek recognition while there's other members who are talking. That's just a way to ensure courtesy. Um, and there are exceptions that I'll get into. And one of the duties of the chair, again, is just to facilitate the discussion, recognize who wants to speak, and give them a chance to do so. So the rules for speaking would be to make your remarks directly towards the chair, um, and also when you're speaking to about another member, you can use their their full name or maybe even their title if you wish to do so. That just ensures uh, there's some distance between uh, using uh, between you and the rest of the members to avoid any conflict or anything like that. And you can also only speak of the topic that's immediately being discussed. So you can't bring in if you're discussing a budget. Let's say you can't bring in an outside topic because that's considered breaking the rules or out of order. So I mentioned earlier that there were a few exceptions to getting recognition from the chair. One of them is point of order. So if you see that a rule is being broken, you can just say so and explain how it is being broken. So you can just say point of order. The other exception uh, is point of information. So if you need any clarification, if a rule is unclear, or if you just need more information, you can say point of information and get whatever uh, it is that it is. You're confused about clarifying.
if you do want to discuss something, you can um, make a motion, but it has to be seconded by another member of the board, uh, just to make sure that someone else besides uh, you wants to discuss it. And so they, once it is seconded, the chair can say, uh, open the floor for debate, um, and then if the debate is over, or if there is no debate, she can just take the vote. So that's how you uh, make a motion. Next slide, please. And I put up some examples of three common motions that you might see. So if you wish to end debate, uh, you think that we've gone on for enough time, or there's really no more to add, you can do so. You just need two thirds of the approval of the of the board, and that will call that that will make the uh, the board chair uh, proceed to take a vote on the original motion. So I mentioned the secondary motion, so that's the amending, amending the main motion, and we had an example of that at the last meeting, where the main motion was to elect the chair, but we had an amendment to that motion to elect the chair, um, temporary, uh, an interim chair, and then review that six months. So that would be an example of amending that main motion. And finally, if you do wish to extend or limit the debate, you can do so, again, by a two-thirds majority. Um, so if you wish to go past 730, let's say, you can move that we extend debate, and you does have the power to censor also, no? Did you say anything about censorship in your... Does the chair have the power to uh, censor any individual uh, uh, in the board? And if so, under what circumstances can, can that member be censored? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that, but I can look into it. Yeah, yeah you know, to be honest, I don't think I've seen anything about censorship. I mean, you know, the, the point of uh, the rules are just to have a code you can imply. Okay. I, don't, I only ask that question uh, simply because um, there's been situations in groups where 
somebody is kind of unruly and doesn't mm -hmm. refuses to recognize the rules, and there's a question of how you bring that the, the whole body uh, around to continue to conduct themselves in that manner despite the behavior of one. Yeah, I, I think the board can probably add more to that point. And, you know, just to remind uh, the, the members that at the end of the day, we are one board, or the Cross-Ican board, it's a single board. And, and though we recognize that there will be agreements from time to time, you know, uh, the understanding is that once the final institution has been made, then that decision reflects uh, the Cross-Ican board as a whole. There isn't a, a rule okay. that tells you whether or not you should be able to do that. But, you know, I think we encourage language. people, uh, if anything, the board should encourage board members to be active participants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some of <coughs> that means asking, you know, several questions. For others, will be maybe following up with management at, at a later point. You know, I mean, there's different ways by which someone can be an active participant. I think, you know, for, for the purposes of the board, I think, you know, a friendly reminder that we encourage people to uh, be active. You know, shall suffice. You can. I think you also encourage that through. Is there anybody else who hasn't had a chance to speak who would like to share their thoughts at this point? You know, you're encouraging people, and as folks get more comfortable, they'll probably speak up more as well as you guys get to know each other. But I think the other. You know, you had mentioned the censure. The, the one of the rules that um, Maria talked about was this idea of. At any point, if the group is feeling like the debate has gone too long, this idea of we're calling the question, and if the group agrees that the debate is over and that they're calling the question, that is what shuts down that debate, right? That, that is a mechanism that the boards have that they can use as a tool that they can use. But again, they're, they're, we call them rules. I will go with their guidelines, and it, they're not all necessarily but they're things that are helpful to reduce conflict um, and help things to move quickly and efficiently and to, and to get business done so that meetings don't go on too long. All right. So now it is uh, the opportunity for the project director report, which is included in your packet. Um, so briefly, part of the responsibilities funded operation is that we are monitored. That means that our uh, grantee, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program from the county, they monitor us. And they've come so far two times to monitor us. And each time they monitor us, they break it down into certain parts of the 19 program requirements. And there's something called the HRSA Compliance Manual that they're using to guide them in this monitoring. So we've had two so far. Um, we recently received our, uh, another report from them after the most recent monitoring visit. Recently, they were focused on finance, our finance processes and procedures, um, some of our, our sliding scale, uh, sliding
sliding scale discount fee programs, which here we call charity care programs. So they reviewed all of those things, and um, there were no findings from that monitoring, which means we don't have any corrective actions. So some of the key terms we use when there's monitoring, um, it's kind of like an audit. They look, they ask lots of questions, they review specific evidence to see if not only we have a policy, are we following the policy, and then they determine whether or not we're doing it according to the HRSA uh, 19 program requirements and the HRSA program manual. Um, compliance manual, and then they write a report, and they have the authority to ask us to, to, to find something and have us do a corrective action. Anytime there's a corrective action, that means we're given a certain time period to fix whatever it is they found, um, but right now there are no corrective actions outstanding. Uh, we have another monitoring visit coming up on July 29th, so it's coming up at the end of this month, and it's focusing on quality and our quality program. And that has a lot to do with clinical care um, and risk management. So at our next meeting, we will have likely completed our visit, but we likely won't have a report back from them yet. Um, I would expect that in September would, when, would be when we would know, are we still in compliance? So that's another key word we use, compliance. Um, and compliance means are we following the law for HRSA um, compliance manual. Okay? Um, one of the other things that I included on the director report was about our mobile service. We talked a little bit about mobile at the last meeting as well. It's one of our programs. And we are wrapping up our fiscal year and our program delivery, our volume, is significantly lower than we projected. So I'm just letting you know that in this report. One of the reasons it is lower is that uh, this year the driver retired, and so we're going through some programmatic changes. And so our new fiscal year starts July 1st, and we expect that we will meet all of our targets next year. But because of the loss of the driver, we significantly reduce services, and we haven't replaced that driver because we're going through a program redesign. So that's why we're low on volume. Um, also, can we yep. work? Thank you. I have one question. Yes. The, the fiscal year is considered uh, July to October? Um, the fiscal year is July 1st through June 31st. Oh, through June. June 30th. Okay. Days past September, April, June 30th. June 30th. June 30th. Okay. Thank um, you. And what's it, we're going to learn a little bit more about the budget um, today as well, and I'll talk a little bit more about some of those timelines later. Uh, one of the other things I included on the project director report is that we also have a new applicant for the for this board, and so it's likely that we will put that on the agenda for next month. But so applications are rolling and they come in. Our board is required to have a minimum of nine members and a, no more than 25, and so essentially you have available vacancies currently have nine members? Correct. Okay, and um, we still yet have to talk about how many members the board should comprise, no? And according to the bylaws, the uh, 
with a maximum of 25. Any other questions? All right, and you can read more. There's more details in the report if you'd like. Maybe I missed this, but interim project director? Ah, uh, yes. I'm sorry, you weren't here last. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, there is a position called the project director. It will be a medical director. And so I am kind of acting as that, holding that place for the project director right now. Um, at Alameda Health System, we have a dyad system, which means an administrator, often with a, a medical provider. And so I will be matched. And then that person will be the director. I still maintain and will still do a lot of the administrative work. Um, but somebody else will get to, to take this report and, and do other things, right? Well, but, but so I'm holding the work right now. So that's why I'm calling it around. Not to worry. And uh, that meeting is available online. You can listen to it if you'd like to as well. We record them. All right. I forgot to put this back in uh, presentation. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about budget is complicated, so we're breaking it up into multiple parts. So if at any time it feels like there's too much, let me know. If there's too little, let me know. I can do more. Um, but uh, we're, I'm going to try to keep it really limited in this first go-round. So today's focus is going to be on some key terms, terminology that we use in the budget, and kind of some timelines and some basic processes that, uh, and organizations that we need to be cognizant of that help guide those processes, right? Like for Trauma team to the ER, level two trauma, ETA three minutes. Trauma team to the ER, level two trauma, ETA three minutes. So in the, in the presentation and in your packets, you'll see these this list of terms that we use, assets, those are those things that we have, audits, again, that's when um, it's kind of like monitoring, you're looking to see whether or not there are any errors or any problems with the processes. Bad debt, sometimes um, you'll, we'll see bad debt, it's things that would go to collections is one way that we're sometimes referring to it, or um, things that ultimately our agency, just we're not going to be able to collect on, and so it gets written off. Our budget is an estimate, and here with the Healthcare for the Homeless Center specifically, that budget, we are part of another larger budget. And so that's why it's a pretty complex budget that you're going to be looking at, because we are part of something greater um, on many levels. And we'll get into more detail about that. But a budget is just a projection. It's what we think is going to happen and what we try to stick to. But things can change in that. So you know, you know how it is. How many of you have a budget? And, and, and does it go exactly like that? No, sometimes it doesn't. And so, and so we're, we're making a plan. We have good intentions with that plan. And sometimes we get a windfall, and we get to amend the budget and do more things, right? So just remember, it's an estimate. Um, capital, that's resources available. Um, 
expenses, key word, that money that we put out is the outgoing money, what we pay out. Fiduciary, this is you or our fiduciary. You're having oversight and responsibility over our budget, our finances, our revenue and expenses. Fiscal is the word we use related to all of our financial matters. Our generally accepted accounting principles is the methodology by which we do our finances. If you'll hear that sometimes, I like to put acronyms up there. Grant funds is another term we're going to get more into, but those section 330, remember that's the code that we use, that's this grant money specifically. Our agency has other grant funds. In this setting, when we're talking about grant funds, we're going to be specifically talking about the 330 grant funds. We may also use the word grant funds to say, and other grants, and we'll try to be real clear when we're referring to the HRSA uh, federal dollars versus other grants. Uh, income, that's the incoming money. That's also known as revenue. And liabilities, that's the money that we owe. Yes. So the that the bad debt, who's that referring exactly or Well in this case these are just key financial terms. And oh, it could okay, be referring to a lot of things. And in some cases we might use we might talk about bad debt in relationship to a specific policy. So it's about the terminology. When you hear the word bad debt, know that that's money we won't be able to collect on. And we might be having that conversation about different parts of the budget. Um, an example would be that in uh, we have the charity care policy for patients, and sometimes patients are enrolled in charity care, and sometimes they're not. If they're not enrolled in charity care and they can't pay, then that means sometimes the charges that are associated with them will go to bad debt. Now, so that could be specific to the patient. The patient that it's it's bad debt. We won't be able to collect that money. That relates to our organization. We can't collect it. We might do something about it. And for the patient, it's also related to also it might that might mean it gets sent to collections. So it can relate to lots of things. Bad debt. And one other one, um, yeah. income is said like a certain percentage from the county towards this particular program or what's the yeah, we're going to talk more well, specifically about the income and where our income comes from. That's part of today's presentation. So gotcha. income just is any revenue is income. Gotcha. Incoming money, revenue, terminology. Um, so Medicaid for us in California, that's Medi-Cal, right? Um, and we serve a lot of patients with Medi-Cal here. Medicare, that's our federal program for and with disabilities. Non-grant funds, in this case, when we're talking about our budget, our expenses, and our revenue, non-grant funds is anything that's not the 330 grant dollars, the non-HRSA dollars. And in some cases, that means they are other grants. So just, I know that there's a problem with that terminology because we use the word grant so much, so we'll try to be really clear when we get to that, okay? Um, Often we're using ratios, comparing this to that, so that's what a ratio is. Receivables, that's what we're due. So if we have a, if we send out a charge, we're asking for that money, the receivable is what we're expecting to get back, but we haven't gotten it yet. Right, we're waiting for it. We're expecting it to come in. Versus revenue, it's come in. 
income has already come, receivable is, we're waiting for it. Uh, reserves, that's it, money is set aside. Revenue, we also call that income, so we're using it here all the time. Scope of project is also another major uh, term that we'll be using a lot. What is on our scope of project? What is in or out of scope? So the scope of project in our for us is those things on our HRSA scope of project. Those things that HRSA has determined we are permitted and what we've been contracted to do from HRSA. There may be other activities that we talk about for patients experiencing homelessness here at Alameda Health System that we care about and are important to us and we give some advice on, but that might not be in our scope of project. And so we'll be pretty clear when it is and is not in our scope. And sometimes we might choose to focus or prioritize those things Recipient is another word you'll hear a lot. We are not the recipient of the 330 grant fund. We are the sub-recipient. So Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program is the recipient. They grant us money, so we are the sub-recipient. Strategic, these are the decisions we make that kind of look ahead, figure out what's the best plan of action, what do we want to accomplish, and then the total budget in this case, and again, um, this is a HRSA term, sometimes we're talking about that total budget. It's all of the 330 grant funds and all of the income, revenue, and expenses related to the scope of project. When we talk a little bit about the scope of project and the income and the expenses, you'll see that's where it gets kind of complicated because there are grant funds, there are non-grant funds, there's expenses that are related to the grant funds and expenses that are not related to the grant funds. So it gets pretty complicated. So we're going to talk a lot about, well, so how do we arrive at our budget numbers? Not today. Today we're terminology and where it comes from. Okay? I have a question. Yes. Sure. Um, are we, does, are we required to keep track of what revenue, uh, basically track the streams of the there's revenues, expenses, and the grants all associated with the, if there's different streams of income. Yes. Alameda Health System is, us as a recipient, we do that and we report on it. So I'll talk a little bit about where and how we report on it, who we report it to, and how we keep track of it. We are required to keep track. Um, yes, I wanted to ask something. Um, um, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought um, initially one of our, our main function was um, advisory, and maybe the, I'm wrong about that. Um, and the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that up is because if indeed we're only advisory, then any budget decision that we make is not necessarily um, uh, will be in stone, as it were. Binding, you mean? Binding, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, any budget decision we make will be binding at all?
uh, in the context of our responsibility as far as that goes? Um, who actually does present us the budget? So that will be the project director. Oh, you know, I see. Okay. Yeah. I was like, okay. Oh, it's you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it'll be me. All right, so I pulled these words out again just because these are, in my mind, some of the most confusing and also the things that we're focusing on today. So when we're working on our budget for process, we're usually working on a one-year budget. Just to complicate matters, and so I'm going to let you know what some of the complications are and why this is going to be a multi-meeting presentation. So as I mentioned earlier, Alameda Health System is on a fiscal year, which is July 1st through June 30th. HRSA, our funders, are on a calendar year. So grants periods for them are December, um, January 1st through December 31st. And that means that there are timelines associated with the budget that are different than the timelines associated with our internal uh, Alameda Health System. and trying to determine what did we do this year and all of our audits are based on a fiscal year but our grant is based on a calendar year the, or, the information isn't always organized in a way that is convenient for us this is a complication so one of the reasons why it would be again a multi-meeting discussion and presentation um, the scope of project then is the services and the population and in particular there are forms that we use it's forms 5a and 5b through HRSA so sometimes you'll hear things referred to via their, the forms that we use um, so in HRSA there's a form 5a and a form 5b and on it it lists all the sites in our scope of project and again our scope of project from the county's perspective includes county, the grantee, as the subrecipient, and the other contracts the county has. So sometimes we'll talk about the whole scope of project and how we intersect with each other and support a big program for Alameda County, and sometimes we'll talk very specifically about just the scope that Alameda Health System is responsible for. But Alameda Health System does bear a large responsibility for a significant amount of the scope of project for Alameda County. So we hold a lot of the of those sites that are on our scope. We've got Highland Wellness Center, not Highland Hospital and not Highland Emergency Department, but Highland Wellness Center, our outpatient clinics. Um, the Highland Dental Clinic is also included. Eastmont Wellness Center, Hayward Wellness Center, Newark Wellness Center, and Mobile Clinic. And then some of the other services associated with those things like the pharmacy or radiology and laboratory also get in the mix there. That, include, that does include John George. So no. Oh, it does not. John George is, is outside of this, this scope of project. Okay. For HRSA funding uh, for uh, health center. So the project and HRSA's design is about a community health center. And John George is about hospitals. So hospitals are not included. Okay, and as I mentioned earlier, also we've got our grant funds, those things that are allocated to us from the 330 and then our non-grant funds, which 
sources of revenue other than the Section 330 grant. It includes program income associated with implementing our scope of project. And implementing the scope of project, for example, is every single service, every single clinical visit that a patient experiencing homelessness receives within at those sites. So somebody comes into the mobile clinic, the income associated with that patient will be included in our revenue. That patient has Medi-Cal, for example. All right. So let's talk a little bit about our subrecipiency in the contract with the county. Um, so Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. I'll usually start with Alameda County every time I say them to differentiate because we have a lot of the same names, right? But they get the, the award. Um, the award is a three-year period. It's called the Service Area Competition, the SAC proposal. It happens every three years, and then the budget is a three-year budget. If they're awarded the money, it's going to be awarded for three years, and then we have an annual um, allotment that is allocated to us. Um, that's sometimes negotiated via a contract with the county. Um, it is coming up, so you'll hear a little bit about this summer is the time where this act for our unit is released, and so we'll be submitting a proposal. They submit the proposal for us, which is really helpful, um, but it includes all of the services that we provide also. So we provide them with a lot of information. That means our, the recipients also, they're the people who talk to HRSA directly. We do not. We talk to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, and they talk to HRSA. So they're in between us, and we don't have a direct relationship with HRSA. All of the data that's entered and reported to HRSA goes through the county. They submit it for us. So we are the subrecipient. We get grant dollars. That's what makes us the subrecipient. And that means that we're also required to meet all of the 19 program requirements to be a subrecipient, which means we're providing data to them about all the services provide in that scope of project. How are we doing? Hmm? Good? Uh, I just wanted to ask, um, in, in the three years in which they're given the award, mm -hmm. um, is there anything uh, in the contract that requires um, an audit in the three years in which um, they run the program with those funds? Okay, so we are required to have an annual audit. When we're monitored, they ask for our audit. Um, when HRSA monitors them, they are also asking evidence for audit. That there's an audit process, it does not necessarily mean that the specific grant dollars are required to be audited every oh. every period. If, if, as far as if we're talking about the budget, there's no requirement, but that the agency has a system by which it does audits, that's required by HRSA. But it's not required that these specific dollars are audited each year. Okay. And then if I may add one more thing, just so that you got some extended relationship between um, the health center, HRSA, and the county. So HRSA conducts all the audits directly to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Center. HRSA does not review our data. Who's fully responsible and the expectation by HRSA is that HCHP, the county, will be conducting the same audits that HRSA does to them. So mm -hmm. as a sub-recipient, our obligations are 
not just to HRSA, but also to the county to ensure that we're complying with the program requirements. Basically, they're held responsible for their, for their subversion. That is correct. And there are examples of that um, in California. Other, you know, San Francisco has a similar relationship where there's a recipient and a subrecipient. So it's, a, it's ours is unique, and yet there are also other examples that are similar. Uh, and I talked a little bit about those, those, those. That's what those quarterly visits are that I mentioned in the project director report. That they, that's what they're doing. They're coming every quarter. They break up the compliance manual into nice little chunks when HRSA comes to visit. It's all at one time over a, you know, a one-week period or a three-day period where they're doing a whole compliance manual. So they try to make it a little easier on us by, and on them, by breaking it up into quarterly chunks and making it small bites. It's also their first time monitoring us. This is new for them as well. So both organizations are learning how do we monitor, what do we look for, how do we do this? This is kind of new. Just like you're a new board, as person has changed some of the rules, we have these new things that we need to do, and we're learning. And they're very receptive to learning from us as well. They're good partners. We have the same goals. We want to serve people experiencing homelessness better. And so we're, we're always looking to do the same thing. So um, our contract, again, just to complicate things, here's another complication. Our contract with the county, which includes $330, also includes other money. So when we're looking at our budget, you're going to see sometimes I'm splitting things up. I'm saying, here's our $330, and here's other money they gave us to do this project. So they're at liberty to fund us more to achieve the scope of project. They're not restricted from giving us more money from other sources. Um, but it's those, it's those $330 that have special rules around them. And so sometimes we'll, we'll just earmark them to say, hey, these are, the, these are the HRSA dollars, and these are extra dollars that they decided to give us to help achieve <coughs> So in this case, we have a new, um, the new contract for this year does include about $163,000 for the program, for the project director, the, the medical director, that's not $330. So sometimes we'll say, well, the county contract is roughly seven hundred and sixty thousand dollars. One hundred and sixty-three of that is not HRSA funds; it's other funds. Okay. Um, a lot of the money that they give us, these grant dollars that they give us directly, are for direct services for mobile clinics. So they fund the community health outreach workers on mobile. They fund the driver for mobile, the medical assistant for mobile. So they're really helping to make sure mobile is sustainable mobile because it serves, it's really limited in its capacity to serve a large number of patients, needs um, supplemental income. It can't survive, it's not sustainable, only on visit volume revenue, right? The, the amount of the money that we get back from patients getting the service if they have health insurance, <coughs> that's not enough to cover the cost of the staff and the vehicle and the service that we're providing. Because the patients experiencing homelessness, they really do need a, a large, a big, they need a big hug. We've got a lot of patients, uh, a lot of staff surrounding them and supporting them, and that's expensive. So that's why the grant dollars supplement that and help us be sustainable. 
And again, I mentioned that it's, it's an annual allocation, so and this is be one of those complications. So it started January 1st, and so what we'll do when we bring you the budget, essentially the budget's already in action, and you're going to adopt it, but you're, you know, we're halfway through the year already. So there's no rush. You didn't exist when the budget was created. So we've got some time to explore, learn, and really understand it. There's no big pressure to adopt the budget because it was in place before you existed. Yeah. Um, a question about uh, about the budget that we'll actually see yeah. uh, in writing, I assume. Yeah. Uh, and when that time comes, are we going to see an actual breakdown of expenses? In other words, uh, to what departments um, are awarded out of that fund. I mean, in other words, are we going to see granularly uh, where the money actually goes, or is intended to go anyway? Yeah, you'll see pretty pretty detailed. Um, so we'll talk a lot more about like our systems. How do we manage the fund? What does it look like? You know, we said we had the gap principles. The um, now, I, but it's not in front of me. I don't always remember what it stands for. The G A A P. So we we use cost centers. So we'll show you. It goes into this cost center. This is how we monitor. This assign it to various staff people. So you'll see that. Okay. It'll be broken down for you. And and it, it shows you right here, you know, it's staff supplies. It doesn't cover the cost of mobile. The, the grants don't cover the cost of the program that we provide. So okay. there's, and that's where it gets really complicated, is ultimately, see this place where it says patient revenue generated from clinic visits? Like that's a source of revenue. Right. So you'll see every visit and the revenue that is generated from it on a report. Okay. You're also going to see that we have to assign a lot of non-patient revenue, so not from the visits and not from the 330 grants, but then from these other places that we need to assign to show that we were able to pay for the service we provided in a balanced budget, right? That's where it gets complicated. We get Measure A funds. We get health, we have a health pack contract so for all of our patients who are on health packs at a health program of Alameda County. There are other grants. We get Ryan White funds. I mean, and even I included the, in our contract from the county this time, they added an extra $163,000 to help the program to be sustainable as well. So we have to associate a lot of other funds coming into Alameda Health System to account for the expenses of the scope of project is a lot larger than just mobile. Mobile is what the grant pays for, but the scope of project is every single clinical visit of a patient experiencing homelessness in our clinic system, our outpatient system. That's, remember, it's the 26 to 30,000 visits per year, the five to 8,000 patients per year. The $600,000 that the county gives us won't cover that. We can't afford the services of $600,000. So then we have to say, well, where within our system and how within our system do we pay for it? Well, Measure A, the local the tax that we have in Alameda County, we kind of do some things to say, well, it costs this much, so Measure A pays for it. Or health tax contract, they give us a certain amount, and we'll associate it with that. And other grants. And the revenue. Remember, we have those patients also who may not have been enrolled in charity care, weren't in Medi-Cal or Medicare, and then have gone to bad debt. There's all these things, these competing things, that then create a very complex budget. 
every year we need to report to HRSA and to the county. And so next time, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we figure all of this stuff out, who we tell, when do we tell them. That'll be next time. How was this size-wise and digestion-wise for budget for today? Not too much? My thought would be more intense. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm like, actually, follow that. <laughs> All right. Well, I am so glad. Well, then, in that case, um, we are on the next part of our agenda. Thank you. I'll go back and just put our agenda up on the board. Um, so next, do we have any public comment? Do you have any comment from the board members? This is where, you know, we had Lucia at the beginning who got to say her piece as the chair. She gets to open the meeting and say what she this wants. This is now your personal. opportunity to say what you want as board members. Code gray, acute care tower, fourth floor. Code gray, acute care tower, fourth floor. Yeah. So yeah, that can be added to the agenda for point of discussion. Uh, and, I, and I will add, someone has offered to bring that from the homeless count okay. to us. So thank you for bringing that up. So this could, is a good time also to say, well, I would like to see on the agenda, or I hope that you will do, and then <coughs> we'll be writing it down. We won't discuss it now, but it's the I know this may yes, I know this may skew outside of the agenda as a word, but it is kind of maybe connected because of the financial aspect. Uh, my question is, um, is there any way for us to look uh, at the upcoming census as a means of garnering revenue uh, if we were able to ensure that we can count patients or that patients be counted um, where they live? So this is the, the data that we collect, the Alameda Health System census data with respect to uh, homeless patients or are you talking about Yeah, the nation? homeless patients. Uh, that's certainly something that can be added. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you'll hear about that regularly. That is part of the new part of it. Okay. understand that you know the public comment or I guess the uh, cab members comment section is just to give cab members an opportunity to speak on something there is no obligation for you guys to come up with something you know, so I guess
says that this is still common for them, is it? Okay, one thing I like to bring up, um, it doesn't really, um, for me, is doesn't make a difference, but it might to other people sitting here on the board. Uh, we are um, in July, and summer's not quite over, and I'm wondering about next meeting and whether or not we actually will have a forum. In other words, uh, nobody has to actually uh, speak out in a personal way about their plans, but um, I'd like to know um, whether or not uh, there are people that are going to be on vacation in the next two months that might impact um, our meeting dates, uh, just for the next two months, August and September. Just something I thought we could, I just could toss out there. I just thought I'd bring it up because whatever's upcoming, you know, may be impacted whether or not we have um, uh, a full quorum or not. Anyone else? I make a motion that we adjourn. You didn't even have to ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, does anybody have any challenges using their ID badge?